0: Welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. Hopefully tonight you'll be able to hear everything that I'm going to say without all of the fan noise. It has been so warm here in Colorado. We have had a whole bunch of smoke from the California fires and from all of the fires going on out west. You guys, we are thinking about you here in Colorado. We can see the evidence of everything that's happening there and you are constantly on our minds as well as, you know, on our lungs. So we are sorry that you guys are going through that and um, hope that they're able to get those wildfires under control here soon. But we have fans on all over the place because I don't know if you know anything about Colorado. A lot of houses here don't have air conditioning. We have a whole house fan. So usually what we do is it cools down at night enough, like into the 60s, that we just open our windows, we turn on the whole house fan, it sucks in the cold air, and that's how we cool down every night. But it's been warmer than normal because of all the insulation with the smoke. So, it's been warm and sticky and crazy, and so we have fans on everywhere. So, hopefully you're not picking up lots of fan noise as I'm recording this and we'll be able to just get down into this topic today. And I have to tell you I'm a little bit nervous to do this topic. We're going to be talking about indoctrination and You know, sometimes it's a little difficult to talk about something without indoctrinating people, right? Because indoctrination comes from a place of bias and we all have personal bias. I want to go into this topic today and just be really, really honest that I am aware I have bias. I'm aware I am... Still working through my bias, I don't have all of the answers. If it ever sounds like I'm saying I have all the answers, know that I don't have all the answers. And this is a space to think freely. I'm going to do my best to talk about this issue in a way that presents both sides and also allows you to deconstruct any indoctrination you have in your life And allows you to, if you have kids or if you're teaching others, to be able to educate instead of indoctrinate, which I think is what the goal is anyway. All right, so let's just hop right into this. What is indoctrination? So, back in the 1620s, when the word first started appearing in literature, The word simply meant to teach or instruct. But since then, in our modern usage, indoctrination has a different meaning. And it means to teach a person or group of people to accept a set of beliefs uncritically. And uncritically here is the key word. Teaching, persuading, all of those sorts of things are fine as long as we're presenting a wide set of information, not just a little bit of information. If we're presenting a wide set of information and we aren't giving favoritism to some information over other information and people are free to choose what they believe or don't believe without... Fear of punishment or disappointment or being rejected or in more severe cases with religious indoctrination, threats of hell or eternal torture or loss of like paradise and those sorts of things. Now, how does indoctrination happen? What happens is we teach a set of beliefs as facts or truth. So when we present beliefs... As the truth, we ignore or dismiss all other points of view that disagree with our beliefs as bad or misinformed. So that's the very first step of indoctrination is the information that we're presenting, we present as the truth and any other information is false. The second step is we attach a set of rewards to following the beliefs And a set of punishments to questioning or rejecting the beliefs. So rewards are often approval and praise. And punishments can range from disappointment, threats, physical punishment, or even promises, like we said, of future torment or torture. Now, where does indoctrination happen? You guys, we are human beings. Indoctrination happens everywhere. It can happen in education, it can happen in medicine, it can happen in politics, it can happen in government, it can happen in family structures, and as we know, it happens in religious structures as well. There are people that say we shouldn't talk about indoctrination because it's everywhere, we shouldn't talk about religious indoctrination because we are indoctrinating people against religion, and that's unfair. And I get that. It can feel like you're being attacked when we talk about religion specifically with indoctrination. But the whole reason I think we've been talking about this so much is it's easy and it has been socially acceptable to criticize indoctrination in families or manipulation in governments or in politics or in education. We can have open conversations in our society about that. But when it comes to religion, religion's really protected. Historically, it has been given a free pass for indoctrination, whereas, say, politics hasn't. And so the reason we're talking about religious indoctrination so much is because it has been such a protected institution. Now, that can be taken too far, as in communist Russia. So in communist Russia, what ended up happening is in the education system, They prioritized atheist and scientific ideas over religious ideas. So the children that were going to school there, they were taught atheism in an indoctrinated way that didn't allow them to freely choose or learn about religious ideas. And so it can go both ways. Often what happens is when we talk about religious indoctrination, it can spark of fear response. I know whenever I was highly religious and I heard people talk about indoctrination in the education system with liberal teachers and their agenda, if you will, and I'm not saying some don't have an agenda, but their agenda, if you will, to deconstruct the religious beliefs of our children and to then indoctrinate them with atheist or liberal beliefs. And that was a very real fear of mine. And it was part of the decision that I had to homeschool my children for the six years that I did. Now, that being said, we know that indoctrination can go both ways. And indoctrination, regardless of whether we are putting biased information into our children's heads that is pro-religion or whether we are putting biased information into our children's heads that is against religion... Either way, we're robbing our children of critical thinking skills. Now, I don't think we can entirely get rid of indoctrination completely. I don't even think it's possible or maybe even something we should even necessarily aim for. And this is why I say this. So in the parent-child relationship, very young children will need concrete guidance from parents before they have the ability to critically think. Before the age of seven, many children don't have the brain capacity, like the physical brain capacity, in order to take things that you tell them, take a story that you tell them, take information that you tell them, and really start analyzing it and asking questions and getting critical with that information. We start seeing some of that develop around the age of late sixes, early sevens, but definitely by the age of eight, nine, ten, we start seeing kids really ask questions and start to, to critically process information. And because we are biased beings, we're naturally going to pass some of our bias on to our children. You guys, we're showing up as parents with all of our own bias, our own indoctrination, our own limiting beliefs, our own way of looking at the world. We have a very personalized lens that we see the world through. It will be impossible to pass on a life to our child that is completely unbiased because as humans, we are biased. So... I want to be really clear that the idea here isn't to be perfect and to pass on a perfect life to our child. The idea here is to be aware of our bias and to create atmospheres where we can get curious with ourselves. We can get curious with our own beliefs. We can get curious with things that feel like truth to us and check in. Like, is that truth? Are there any arguments to the contrary? It Can be just a fun exercise for us to be aware of our bias and to actively push against it and expand. Okay? As we're deconstructing, I think sometimes there's a temptation to believe that we're gonna get it all done and then set deconstruction down and then we're going to get on with the rest of our lives. But really what it is, is this is a lifelong process. And we would be going through this process, whether we had been in high demand religion or not. We are constantly, even now, hearing ideas that we're considering subconsciously. Sometimes they get stuck in our subconscious. Sometimes we embrace them. And We are going to be on the journey of questioning those beliefs and our bias, and really getting curious about where those beliefs and biases came from and what experiences brought them there. And if we want to keep them for the rest of our lives, because we are going to be evolving and growing as humans. And as we do this for ourselves, as we continue to get curious and question our own biases and beliefs we're going to naturally give our children permission to do that as well. So it doesn't mean that we aren't going to pass on some bias or that we're going to pass on some indoctrination. But as we're in that habit of questioning ourselves, being honest with ourselves that we might not have all the answers, being honest with our kids that we might not have all the answers, We give ourselves and our children and everyone in our circle of influence more permission to expand and to get curious with things and to question things and to have doubts and uncertainty about things. All right. Let's get down. We're going to pick apart two common arguments about indoctrination that I have heard over and over and over again as I've been reading message boards and blogs and lots of different posts. Something I want you guys to know is whenever I am getting ready for a podcast, I'm not just reading materials from people who are deconstructing. I'm also reminding myself of what the beliefs look like for those who are active in the faith. I want to make sure that I'm never just completely separating myself from the world of religion. I want to stay up to date with what they think and what they believe and what's going on currently because it helps me in some ways check my own pulse, right? That I'm not just switching out one indoctrination for another. So I am constantly opening up myself to ideas not just from Christianity, but from Buddhism and from Judaism and from Islam and from Taoism, Hinduism. I love opening myself up to several different ideas and checking those against secular humanist ideas, atheist ideas. I want to have a broad range of understanding before I come to these podcasts. So I'm constantly like really trying to open up my perspective and bring in a lot of these things. But in all of these forums, except for perhaps Buddhism, in all of these forums, there is a lot of talk about indoctrination. And there are two main arguments that I've seen pop up on all these different boards several different times. I want to really go ahead and just kind of pull those apart here, okay? The first argument is that it's just teaching. And while anciently that may have been true, there are some key differences between education and indoctrination today. So I really love this quote by Jonah Kanner. It says, education opens the mind while indoctrination closes it education is a process-driven approach to engage with knowledge and ideas of the world, and I put in parentheses without bias. Indoctrination, on the other hand, is a results-driven approach that aims to instill in people a set of habits and beliefs that align with an ideology or political agenda. Now, there's a couple of really key phrases there that I want to bring out, and one is that Education is process-driven. It really doesn't have an end result in mind. It's more about the journey and the adventure of discovering ideas and getting curious with them, talking about them, thinking critically about them, and just like looking at all of the different facets of different ideas. So it's a process. It's a journey. It's an adventure. And there really isn't a destination in mind. But in indoctrination we're starting with the result that we want and then we're backtracking from there and deciding which information we're going to present in order to get that result. Indoctrination is really intentional. We're only presenting information that supports the result that we want to have. When I was reading on Focus on the Family, there was a blog article that was talking about how if we want children to be strong Christians— Then we have a moral obligation to teach them day and night through everything that we're doing by the time that they're eight years old. That those first seven years of life are so important for parents, and that we have a moral obligation to teach them the way that they should go. In fact, they use the scripture. In Psalms, I believe it's Psalms 22.6 that says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. And it was just so telling that that's indoctrination when we're saying the result that we want here is strong Christian young men and young women, and therefore we teach from the Bible, we teach from the approved materials day and night so that when they're old, they will not depart from what we taught them before they were the age of eight. Because what are we trying to instill? We're trying to instill a set of habits and beliefs that align with the ideology. I did also find it interesting that in that same article, it said if we don't indoctrinate children, that they would not become strong Christians. And so for me, this brings up some questions some of the questions are if the faith is something that you believe is good and is the best way to live, then we shouldn't have to resort to indoctrination. We should be able to present a wide variety of ideas. We should give the child the ability to ask questions and get curious with those ideas. We should give them the choice to choose from among those ideas or none of those ideas. And then and only then do we make our argument for why we believe the organization is such a good choice. And through argumentation, through critical thinking, through looking at facts, through talking back and forth, we can healthily persuade people because they have all the information, not just part of it, They have the ability to think critically and ask questions, and they're free to choose without threat or without punishment to agree with us or disagree with us. Now, if we don't have compelling reasons and we don't feel like our religion can stand up to argumentation, then we need to ask ourselves why. We feel compelled to indoctrinate people with something that we don't believe can stand up to logic and critical thinking. So that's just something that comes up for me when I'm reading that if we don't indoctrinate people when they're young, when they lack critical thinking skills— If we don't indoctrinate them when they're young, if we don't input these ideas into their subconscious before they're capable of consenting to have those ideas there, then they'll choose something different. I think that tells you something. If people are choosing something different, if you don't indoctrinate them, and if can't win the argument through argumentation, if you can't convince people that your organization is good through argumentation and critical thinking then there's some more thought that needs to happen there. We need to dig into, is this a solid idea? Is this a solid ideology? Two ingredients need to be present for a teacher to indoctrinate their student. First, we use our authority. So the teacher is typically a person that is in authority. They're a teacher at school. They're the pastor. They're the prophet. They're the political candidate, they're the president, they're somebody that we hold up and revere. They're the parent. And second, we promote a closed-minded adoption of a belief by only presenting part of the information and only the information that supports our belief. And we present it as the truth And offer up arguments for why all other points of view are false, or bad, or misinformed. So that's what indoctrinators do, but here's what educators do. First, we've already gone over some of these, but I think it's really worth repeating. First, educators are aware that they have bias and have shortcomings, If we will let our kids, students, and parishioners know that we don't have all the answers, we give them the autonomy to admit when they are unsure and the autonomy to explore that uncertainty. We also do this with our podcasters. You guys, I don't have all the answers. Okay, I'm still learning just like you. Please understand this is just my best understanding of what I have so far. I'm still learning. Years from now, I may understand this differently or better. I'm presenting information, and please feel free to take what works for you and throw out what doesn't. Okay, second, they teach how to think, not what to think. David Gubler said, I tell my students that technically I don't care what they think. I just care how they think. The idea here is we teach our children, our students, our parishioners to think critically. We teach them how to think logically, how to look at the other side of an argument, how to cross-examine themselves, how to get curious, how to explore, how to be uncertain, how to have doubt, how to recognize when they're experiencing cognitive dissonance, how to tap into their emotions and recognize when something feels off. We teach people to critically think. We teach them about logical fallacies. We teach them about coercion and manipulation tactics. We give people all of the tools that they need to then look at information and decide, am I being emotionally manipulated? Am I being given all the information? Does this sound too good to be true? What questions can I ask? How can I get curious? This isn't sitting right with me. Can I explore that? What is my inner knowing saying? What questions or concerns does it have? What next steps do I need to take to find out more? All of that. We present lots of various ideas from all sides of an argument without bias. We try to avoid presenting only one side of an argument or historical event. We teach that the ideas are neither good nor bad. They're simply ideas to explore. And we give those you teach the ability to recognize that life is often much more complex than we first believe. In an indoctrinated world, there is good versus evil. There's right versus wrong. And there's often overly simplistic reasons for why people do what they do. But in real life, people are complex. The reasons that they do what they do are often multifaceted And when we give students the ability to recognize complexity, it's actually a wonderful ingredient to develop curiosity and compassion. We don't make as many snap judgments about others' actions when we realize that the reasons behind a person's behavior are often far more complex than they appear on the surface. And then, of course, we give the student, child, person, etc. the ability to draw their own conclusions freely. Okay, little side note here. One of the main reasons indoctrination driven by a fear or shame consequence system works so well is because we learn faster and more permanently when what we learn is attached to strong emotion. You guys, neuroscience has made leaps and bounds. They're able to like attach electrodes and like do computer scans of our brains and stuff. And they're finding that when we experience really strong emotions like shame, like fear, like humiliation, when we experience those things, the things that we're learning get cemented into our head. Shame and fear are two of the strongest emotions we have. However, love and acceptance are just as powerful. So creating an atmosphere for these emotions while learning provides just as much engagement And remembrance without the leftover mental and emotional trauma. So, if we are offering an atmosphere where people are loved and accepted and are encouraged to have questions and critically think, they're going to remember those things just as well as if we're using shame and fear. All right, so the second argument that I've been hearing a lot on these message boards is it doesn't matter if we indoctrinate kids because they're just going to grow up to believe whatever they want when they're older anyway. So there's this argument that as we grow up and mature and develop more critical thinking skills that we'll be able to just grow up and believe what we want. And if we don't like our parents' belief system, we can leave it. On the one hand, this is true to an extent Because as we become adults, our prefrontal cortex develops and we are more capable of critical thinking. However, human brains are complex and ideas that are put into the brain when we're very young children often subconsciously shape our worldview for the rest of our lives without us even knowing it. Unless we make an intentional effort to bring those subconscious thoughts back into the conscious realm where they can be examined and corrected... They will shape and guide the rest of our life. There's a reason self-limiting beliefs are often tied to childhood experiences. They're powerful and they shape our worldview well into our adulthood. So things that happen when we're before the age of eight are typically still the same things you're running into that are keeping you from getting the life you want. You might have ideas about money or your self-worth or relationships or safety, or food scarcity, or poverty, or a host of other things that are tied to your young childhood experiences. And my guess is you're running on autopilot and you might not even recognize that those beliefs are there. And that's the script that you're living your life by. This is the reason that the free thinking argument for me doesn't work. Now, granted, I don't know all things, so if the ability to think freely and the ability to choose completely works for you, that's great. I do believe that there is an ability to choose. We are all free to think, and without understanding subconscious beliefs and childhood beliefs that are implanted at a young age, I think often we are left highly hindered in our ability to freely choose our thinking and our belief system. So Aristotle is credited as saying, give me a child until he is seven and I will show you the man. And earlier we said in Proverbs 22, 6, it says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. In our early years, we're developing our conceptual models of how the world works. And if ideas are injected into our brains at this age, those ideas stand a great chance of playing an essential part of how the individual views reality. Because in this stage of life, kids can be taught pretty much anything, and it'll be believed with the total trust of infancy. I mean, you can tell kids some pretty ridiculous things, and they will completely believe you. Freedom to think requires the ability to critically think and to appraise what you're being told. And very young children are incapable of logical or critical thinking up to a certain point. We start seeing this ability to critically think develop when we start seeing kids ask those really awkward questions. Sometimes when there's like a pregnant silence in the room and everyone can hear the awkward question. And this is actually great. Highly embarrassing sometimes, but it's great because it means that they're not just swallowing what they're being handed, but they're beginning to process that material critically. When education is being used, these questions are welcomed and the educator asks more questions to help the child get curious and think even deeper. Again, all without bias, as much as possible, right? In indoctrination, however, the questions aren't welcome, and the learner is met with power-based manipulations, punitive measures that induce guilt and anxiety, and create a thought-stopping technique to avoid these emotions in the future. In the future, when this learner has a question or something doesn't make sense their brains are going to automatically stop these thoughts and reroute their thinking to other less dangerous things. So if you've been shamed or had someone disappointed at you or have been threatened with hell because you've been asking certain questions in the future when you have a similar question, remember we have those neural pathways, right? Your brain's going to be like, oh, the last time we asked a question like this, We felt rejected or afraid and it was highly uncomfortable. And so we're going to go directly over here to this thought stopping technique. We're going to shove that thought down and we're going to switch the channel to something that's safer. And this all happens subconsciously in the blink of an eye, a split second, and we go from doubt to shoving it in a box under the bed and watching something different on the stage of our mind, sometimes without even being conscious of it. The other problem with this argument is at this point, when we have these thought-stopping techniques and we've used them over the years to protect us and keep us safe and keep us feeling like we're belonging and that we're valued and loved and we're getting all that praise and validation... When we've invested so much of our time and relationships and emotional self into an idea and then we're presented with conflicting information, our brains have an automatic mechanism that reaches for consistency to protect us and keep us safe. Our brain in that instance does not reach for fact. It doesn't reach for truth. It doesn't reach for curiosity. It reaches for consistency. What goes along with the narrative of the rest of my life? What is consistent with what I already believe? And that is what I'm going to believe. That's what I'm going to give more weight to. And the other idea I'm going to discard or I'm going to distort. And we're going to talk more about this next week in depth. We're going to really dig into cognitive dissonance. So if you don't understand this concept, it's okay. We're going to get into it more next week. Understanding indoctrination is a big deal, you guys. Because... So often what happens is as we're deconstructing, we're going to run into blocks between us and what we're trying to learn or what we're trying to do with our lives. was just talking with my virtual assistant today about women who want to go back to work but are trying to process through negative thoughts they might have about going to work and as people who are deconstructing religious ideology we're presented with an extra issue of am I having these thoughts because this is not a good fit for me career wise am I having these thoughts because I don't actually want to go back to work or am I having these thoughts because I have religious indoctrination that women shouldn't be in the workplace and their place is at home. That was such a great conversation because sometimes it's hard to tell. Where are these thoughts coming from? I was just on a message board today where somebody was talking about how they were trying to learn more about evolution because the religion they grew up in discouraged them from learning anything about evolution, and they wanted to know more. They said every time they queued up a video, they would get this really dark, ugly feeling inside, and in their head they would hear this is evil this dark feeling means it's evil and as she was talking through her experience somebody said you're actually experiencing cognitive dissonance as you're watching this the reason you're uncomfortable and you have that dark heavy feeling is because you're creating a new neural pathway and it's uncomfortable you're outside of your comfort zone And you've been taught to associate that dark, uncomfortable feeling with bad or evil. And so she said, I just tell myself, I'm uncomfortable right now. I'm outside of my comfort zone. And this is something new. And it can't hurt me to learn something new. I don't have to accept it. I just get to learn it. And this is the process of deconstructing indoctrination. first of all, becoming aware of the discomfort, becoming aware of the block, getting curious with it. I like to argue with my blocks. I like to put them on trial. So if I have something in my head, for instance, that says coffee is bad. So like the first time I went to Starbucks when I was 37, I felt incredibly guilty ordering that first cup of, I don't think I even ordered coffee at the beginning, you guys. I think I ordered a chai latte, which is one of my favorite drinks. And so I was feeling guilty before I'd even purchased the coffee. Walking up to the counter, I was feeling heavy and guilty and like, oh my gosh, this is something I can't take back. And I noticed I was starting to feel that walking up to the counter, and you guys, I probably looked like a total freak, but it's cool. I had to do what I had to do to take care of myself. My inner child was having a total meltdown and tantrum, and so I pulled myself aside as if I had a real child, like a real physical child right there having a tantrum. I wouldn't be trying to order my coffee with, you know, the child on the floor kicking and screaming, which is what mine was doing. My inner child was like, ah, what are we doing? I kind of went and sat off to the side of a table and just sat there and deep breathed for a minute and in my head named my emotions, I feel afraid, I feel ashamed, I feel guilty. And then I traced that emotion. What thought am I having that created the fear emotion? Well, the thought was that I can never take this back. Once I've had coffee, I can never say I've never had coffee again in my life. And then I had to get curious with that thought. Well, why is that bad? And as I got curious and started pulling things apart, I realized I'm allowed to make mistakes if having a cup of coffee ends up being a mistake somewhere down the line. It's a growing experience. And sure, I can't take it back that I had a cup of coffee, but I can learn from it It's not going to kill me. It's not going to hurt me. And as I continued to get curious, underneath it all was, what if it is a mistake and God can't forgive that? And that was really at the heart of it all. What if I blow my chance at heaven? Can you tell I was indoctrinated? Because mistakes, and this mistake in particular, was tied to my ability to enjoy paradise Or if I went against that indoctrination, there was a real threat of not being able to go to heaven, not see my family anymore, all over a small pot of coffee. There's actually a talk in the Mormon world that was given at a general conference, which is like our big every six month conference, where one of the female speakers talked about a woman jeopardizing her own salvation and the salvation of her entire posterity. Because she would have a cup of coffee every day. And she talked about how such a small thing could make such a big impact and deny so many people blessings. And so I actually heard this talk in my head as I was preparing to go get my first cup of coffee. I'm sitting there and I'm hearing Julie Beck is her name. I'm hearing Julie Beck's voice in my head. And I'm hearing her talk about this small pot of coffee and the havoc it wreaked in this family. And so I put the idea on trial, you guys. Okay? So I took the idea. I didn't have paper with me. But what you can do if you have paper is you take the idea and you write all of the fears that you have or all of the thoughts you have about that idea And you make your best defense for that idea. I always start with the defense because that's usually what's easiest. For limiting beliefs and indoctrination, your indoctrinated ideas are limiting beliefs if they're no longer serving you. I write all the reasons that idea is true or scary or I should listen to it. But then I become the world's best prosecuting lawyer lawyer against that idea. And I write every single argument I can come up with of other people who lead amazing lives while having a cup of coffee, of how coffee has been shown to have health benefits, and any other thing I can come up with of how I'm allowed to make mistakes and learn from my mistakes, that I make my very best effort and if it ends up being a mistake that I get to own that and learn from it and move forward and that growth and learning come with mistakes, that mistakes are part of the plan, that that gets to be okay. I even, I think, told myself that the only kind of God I could believe in is one that is loving and compassionate and empathic and kind and a loving, compassionate, empathic and kind God would understand mistakes, would encourage mistakes, would encourage personal learning and growth through experience and so I went through all of these things and then I was finally able to get up and confidently or at least more confidently ordered the coffee try the coffee and move through that limit now I ended up not liking coffee I've tried coffee a bazillion ways I don't really like it my sister made it one time and it was really good But typically I don't crave coffee, I don't want coffee, chai lattes or a whole nother thing, but coffee didn't end up being a stumbling block. It didn't end up being a gateway drug to evil like I had imagined in my head. And I reaffirmed all of that prosecution I did by taking that step forward and trying it. Does that make sense? It felt like it was in my best interest to try it. I had lots of reasons why it was probably okay. I drank the coffee. It was okay. That helped me move past that limiting belief and past that indoctrination a little bit more. I hope this is helpful, you guys. I just feel like the more we understand about thought control, indoctrination, what is going on in our little noggins, the better we're able to take control of those thoughts and to move ourselves through those thought processes. Now, granted, when I went to go get my coffee, I was, what, two weeks out of the church, maybe a month out of the church. It was not very long. That whole process took me a while because it was one of my first forays into battling against indoctrination. But now when indoctrination pops up for me, because it still does... When indoctrination pops up for me and says that I'm a bad mom because I have a business as well or indoctrination pops up and says that I shouldn't be as loud mouthed and opinionated as I am because nice girls are quiet. I mean, I get these kind of messages all the time. Whenever they pop up, now I can just acknowledge them. I've pushed back against them enough that I know that they're not true. They're just pieces of my past that are popping up. And now when they pop up, I don't have to go through the whole process of putting them on trial. I can just notice them and be like, oh, hello, thought from my past. You're back. What's up? And I can just really quickly hear what the fear is or whatever and be like, oh yeah, no, it's cool. I've got that. Remember, this is our plan and this is why this is okay. And then that indoctrination thought goes away. Because I've already got plans in place for that. I've already gone through the whole trial process. I already know all the arguments against that particular thought. And it's so much easier to be like, oh, hello, indoctrinated thought, my old friend. Why are you here? (laughs) What insecurity do I have right now that's making you come up? What fear do I have that's making you come up? What trigger is making you come up? And I just check in with it really quick, tap into my body, tap into my emotions, listen to my thoughts really quick. And then I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, I thought about that and we're good. I have a plan for that and we're going to move forward. It's just kind of cool to remind myself, oh, yeah, that's the old thinking. I see you. But don't forget, we actually changed the programming to this now. Because we've already changed the programming, when it comes up, I'm like, oh, hey, Haven't seen you in a while, but remember, that was the old programming. This is the new programming, and we're going to go with that. And I'm able to release that old thought and move forward. All right, you guys, so excited. Next week, we're going to be talking about cognitive dissonance. We're going to really dig into that, and then we're going to be getting into parenting, or do we have one more? I think we might have one more podcast after that. But then in August, we are digging into parenting. And Kevin is going to join me on the podcast. And I have a couple of other guests that hopefully will still get to do it. School is going to be in session. And so that can definitely throw some things off. But we have some guests coming in August. Kevin will be back. The last time he was here was in February. So he's going to join us again. We're going to talk about teaching children outside of religion and kind of going through some of the limiting beliefs and things that happen when we're teaching our children and helping them be moral beings and just all of that. So thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for just processing all of this with me. I feel like I'm learning so much. I hope you're learning so much. And I can't wait to talk about cognitive dissonance. It was one of my most mind-blowing realizations that first year of leaving High Demand Religion, it's something I would love to talk about and I can't wait to share it with all of you. And so I'll see you next week.